Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. So I'm going to introduce Barry, and then Barry's on me for 20 minutes, if you want to know how long this will be. So it's going to be 10-10 when you leave today. But you, you came here, so hopefully it's worth being here if we're 10 minutes over. Um, so uh, Barry Foster is, a, first of all, a friend. I've uh, known him for a decade or so, been part of a men's group with him to study uh, Jungian uh, psychology, uh, psychotherapy, uh, whatever else we'd call it, but a soul group uh, that I met with once a month, and really it was a chance to dive in, and then we'd meet, just literally not see each other all month, mostly, and do it again. And then when we were, when Ann Yates uh, resigned and we were needing somebody to step in and help us, uh, he volunteered to help us uh, here at this church as he is a advisor to the Bishop of Vancouver Island, a friend of mine uh, as well, our friend uh, Bishop uh, Anna. And so he's here helping us and he'll be meeting with you following the service today about the position uh, as we seek to move forward on staffing. What's your thoughts on executive director, director of operations, engagement? So Barry is on deck and um, I'm going to sit here and let you do whatever you want. Wow. <laughs> That's pause for thought. <clears throat> well, John, I thought I would uh, ask you some uh, questions that you can respond to. And, you know, as one who's been interviewed many times myself, I know, I know how this goes. You get a question, but then you just say what you want. <laughs> and, and that will all be good. But since we are uh, still in the season of epiphany, that season of bright shining lights and bright ideas, and where things are revealed to us. I was thinking about um, our series of Epiphany Explorations. And what do you think that revealed, both about the people who came in person and online? And what does it reveal about a kind of hunger we have in the world? Great question. Well, uh, my, off the top of my head, which all of these are coming, and hopefully from the bottom of my soul, uh, what I would say is Epiphany is a time of exploring, and so we had different professors here talking about their particular passion. Um, it was inducing, introducing anybody here in person or online to uh, some good scholarship, so that might have been hard work, but uh, when I think back about Harry Meyer, who kicked us all off, he invited us to think about the surprise and wonder that was probably intended in a lot of the parables that we tend to think there's one answer, exploring a variety of answers. Um, I love some of the questions that Ross brought us about what's the mission of the church? What are we should be thinking about? What is our job anyway? Are we just here for this place or how are we engaging in the world? I love uh, um, Rabbi Laura inviting us to think about uh, how donkeys speak and snakes speak. Uh, and then that got expanded again by Mari, th thinking about how... Uh, the land speaks and trees speak. So it, it felt to me like a common theme was how is the creator speaking to us and trying to get our attention? Uh, and I love that that is expanding. I've been doing this for 36 years officially and it's amazing to see how theology has shifted and changed and how we are changing as we engage with the world and what's required of us. So for me, it was lots of little nuggets uh, and I'm delighted that people were able to be exposed to it. I, I found myself wondering if it also said a fair bit about <clears throat> what Hillhurst does in trying to provide good religion to the world. 
Now, I think of Hillhurst as a place that's kind of a beacon in our city where we can uh, bring together that interface between uh, daily life and the word of life <clears throat> that comes to us through scripture, through its ancient teaching. And did that series in some way uh, represent a hunger that's visible in our city? Like, do you have a, a sense of that? For sure. Uh, I love that you keep using the word hunger because I remember my first sermon here 19 years ago. Uh, the question that I posed is, what are you hungry for? Um, we don't have it recorded. We didn't record anything back then. But I think that hunger is a theme. Here's a couple of things I'm worried about. Uh, I've got four kids. They start at 32 and they work their way down to 13. And I'm, I'm worried not just about their demographic, but our culture. So yesterday in the Globe and Mail, I had an article, a uh, short letter. It's a slight addiction I have, I just saying, uh, to read what's in the newspaper and respond. I do it weekly, a couple of times. Uh, and one of the things I said this week is I was having a conversation with my daughter, Allie, she's 26. I said, where do you get your news? Okay, and she paused and then she said, Twitter. I said, Twitter. I said, well, she says, actually, I get the headlines. I'm like, okay, that's even worse. Uh, and when I thought to myself, I said, so but where do you get the in-depth news? And she said, well, I got the headlines, and if I want, there's a link to an article, but it's a bit of work to get there. And so in the letter that I said in the Globe and Mail yesterday, I was saying that I was responding to an editorial that was saying what we're missing in our world is people who are engaged in civics. And what that is is understanding how cultures work, how people are elected, and what democracy is. And if we take that for granted, the dangers of that. But what I was saying in the letter is we're living in a time of disinformation. That's when people are putting intentional false information out, disinformation. We're also living in a time of misinformation where there's mistakes are made in what's reported. And we need to have the ability to discern that. And so I was suggesting that if we're not doing the in-depth look at what's going on, I grieve for all of us and what could happen. Should we be asleep to what's going on in the world. So what do I think we're hungry for? I think I'm hungry for a bit deeper conversation. Um, but I think generally, globally, I said it in a sermon, um, I think it was before Christmas, um, there's a desperate uh, yearning because we're lonely. Uh, I think we're living in a culture where people are living alone, and I don't mean that that's bad. I'm simply saying that there's a difference between loneliness and solitude. Loneliness is uh, what we might experience when something's missing, someone's missing, where, we, where nothing seems to fill our hunger. Solitude is something we choose where we might choose to be by ourselves and we could be full in that solitude, but we're living in a lonely time uh, where people feel disconnected and unheard and so when we feel disconnected and unheard we often get angry and then out of that anger comes depression and out of that comes some kind of violence literally we're seeing it in the world including myself when I've had bike rage uh, you know but I guess I, I think what we're hungering for is connection and, and I mean real connection that's uh, that's deeper longer uh, more engaged it's, it's soul food when we have that. It is soul food. I mean, it was beautiful. I will not forget you dancing this morning, you two. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, that wasn't planned. 
here it is. You get surprised when you gather in a place like this in, in the flesh, when the spirit moves and people are unique and different. And, and I, I think that is feeding. So one of your metaphors uh, that you use frequently, and you spoke to this uh, a little bit about the, the newspaper on one hand and the ancient wisdom contained in scripture, the Hebrew and the Christian Bible on the other hand, but how in these perilous times do we get that kind of conversation going so that um, what we have to speak out into the world uh, can be heard? Is, is there a place for what we have to say uh, out there in the world? And how do, how do we get that out there? Well, first off, I think that, uh, I've said this before, I've got colleagues who are, retire as priests or ministers and then they give up on church. And I, I'm kind of curious about that, but I, I also think what they've told me is what they miss is a chance to go deeper in a, a conversation that matters. And so one of the things I believe church should be is that that we create spaces where people are, are forced beautifully into community where you're gonna hear a different opinion. We don't all think alike, but what's the opinion and the perspective of the other person? So I think gathering, whether it's online or in person, with people who are different matters. And my grief for young people is, because there's so much bad religion in the world, this might be the last place they're ever gonna step into. And so how do we create uh, an awareness? This is where my interest in public theology is. How do we get the message out? We're not as ridiculous as you think. Uh, we are a place that's open. We are a place that wants to transform the world. And so that's part of our work, um, to do that. Bible and newspaper, as uh, Karl Barth said about a long time ago, I still believe that, if we, that we have to have uh, the scriptures and... Um, and what's going on in the world, whether it's your iPhone, which is how I read my paper, together, what's going on here? And do that work. And when you start to do it, it's really exciting because we're living in a really amazing time. Uh, we're living in a time when people are free to talk about what they believe and uh, people are engaging in spirituality beyond organized religion in all kinds of places in the culture. But how do we build a bridge to those places? And that's not my work, that's all of our work. How do we build those bridges? And so part of that, I think, is looking for what we would call uh, good news that we experience in the world out there. It doesn't just happen in here when we're gathered as church. And uh, one of the things that comes to me is, is how often we resonate to what we hear in music. And, and that's, uh, for me, one of the sources of the presence of divine spirit in the world. Tonight is the Grammys. Uh, and... Taylor Swift is up again. Do you, do you think there's good news in the, the music of Taylor Swift and others uh, like her that help us to connect with that uh, spirit beyond? Yeah, on my Christmas sermon, I talked about her. She is sort of being named as one of the people that lives authenticity when you listen to uh, the words in her music that invite people to a realness and a vulnerability. I think when you have a chance to listen what the band just sang, if you listen to those words about belonging, different kinds of music. Often we have music, but do we ever really listen to the lyrics? Not often, but when we do, it's really amazing what gets broken open in that. And so... I think there are people, and all of you are included in this, who are being called to speak out, uh, not with rage, although rage isn't bad, but with a sense of courage to say uh, and saying what is important. So 
I, I think lots of times we sing stuff we don't believe uh, as well. And so uh, there's great old hymns that we look at the theology and go, it's terrible, but there's something in that music that's important to us. We're probably, uh, all of us, uh, vibrations of music. It's like when we sing, mine eyes have seen the glory. Uh, if we go to the text of that, we might have lots of questions and, and even some real discomfort, but there's something about how that music resonates through us that connects us to something larger and, and binds us together, I think, as people. So that's, uh, that's good, yeah. So one of the other things that, uh, just to flip back to um, uh, the Epiphany Explorations for a minute, that really impressed me with Rabbi Laura was when you asked her what gives her hope in the world, she began with a biblical story. And what impressed me about that was, and, and of course one shouldn't be surprised because she's a rabbi and a scholar of scripture and all of that kind of stuff, but how often I find myself responding to things in the world with something other than what comes out of our own sacred story. And it has me wondering about what we can do to help to improve our own uh, collective biblical literacy. So imagine um, that conversation that we have with people about climate and things like that. To begin with, a story about the call to us to be stewards of creation. And is there a way that we can uh, help to encourage that kind of sensibility one with another? That we come out of our, our sacred story when we're responding to the world around us. I know that's, yes. a that's a tough one. <laughs> i say yes. I mean, the thing, uh, the thing is, if we're listening this week, I encourage you to do it. You're going to be in conversations where there will be an opportunity for you to go deeper. Uh, one of my favorite lines when someone says something I don't like is this. I say, help me understand. And that's really sort of saying, help me understand how you get that perspective that you get. You know, when it comes to the, the biblical text we look at today, I mean, Psalm 139 is my favorite psalm. Oh God, you've searched me and you know me. I love uh, know, the word knowing as opposed, uh, you know, when I think about God, I think about how does God know us and how we are known. You know, and the, and the second text, uh, lo, I will be with you always to the close of the age. It's just this reminder that God is with us regardless of all of this and present to us. And so I think the, the engagement with others needs to be help me understand this. So even yesterday standing at that rally, there was people on the other side of the street that uh, you know, you're kind of shaking your head about. Um, unfortunately, there's, the, there's them and then a roadway in us. And the them and us is, is part of our politics. It's part of our rallies. It's everything. And I think Jesus walks down the middle of the road and, and some mysterious, mythical, magical way invites us into put down our swords and let's, let's be human together. What does that mean? So I guess I'm not going to ever give up on that uh, possibility of not being us or them, but being one uh, in our diversity. So it's, it's work. It's hard work. There's a lot of people you might want to, uh, how do you do that in a way that says, help me understand how you can see the world this way. And I think, as Laura was saying, that oftentimes it requires us to step into a place that's not comfortable for us. I can think of lots of places in my life. It's not comfortable to be there, and it requires great courage. So, I'm an Enneagram 9 peacemaker. 
I avoid conflict. But what I've also learned is that when I step into conflict, I actually am uncomfortable and I actually encounter uh, both God but also a courage that really matters. And I think uh, we, our faith should make us a little bit uncomfortable. And in that uncomfortableness, we have to explore, why am I bothered by this? Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about communion. I remember we did a communion here uh, where, we, you know, where you have the baskets and people gather together around it. I remember being at the door after church when, when we did that. And one lady goes out the door and she said, if you ever do that kind of communion, I'm out of here forever. And then about 10 people later, this person comes up and says, I've been having communion for 35 years. That's the most beautiful communion I've ever had. So how do you hold this together, right? How do you say, this might drive you crazy, this might be beautiful? And it takes some sticking together. We're we're living in a time where we, honestly, we don't stick to much. We don't show up to much. We pick and choose and we really uh, don't really put our feet down and have roots to say, you know, how will I be in the changing, shifting times? I think we have time for one more question. So, not that this is happening, you know, kind of around the corner or anything, but later in your life, when you're writing your memoir of ministry, what are you going to say about this community of Hillhurst? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. This, This church has been a church that says yes, often first. And when people say yes, or help me understand, it means that they're willing to to try something new, to step in a new direction. So from the very beginning time here, uh, this church kind of said, you're the last minister, do whatever you want, which was kind of scary and beautiful at the same time. There was resistance, but eventually people said yes, and yes, and yes. And so what I would say, which is why I wrote Fishing Tips, is that this community of faith has a tendency to say yes. Uh, And then we might change our mind, but uh, my memoir would say something about this is a community that seeks to say yes, uh, to wonder, to be curious, to try new things, and to be open. Uh, A lot of churches that are struggling or closing are no places or fearful places. So uh, places that say yes have a tendency to want to grow uh, in depth and in number and attract other people to that kind of positive, good experience. So my memoir would be entitled, Yes. How's that? (laughs) That's excellent. John, one of the things that I admire about you um, is that you're a courageous leader. And I am inspired by this community. And I think that Hillhurst United Church and all of the folk, staff, and others that make this place go is one of the bright lights in the world around us. So thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.